Adventurers and explorers of the occult, are your stories tired and lackluster? Are you bereft of words to describe the nasty, horrid, and dreadful things you have seen in the dark? Then you need Lovecraft's Thesaurus. Yes, with Lovecraft's Thesaurus, your nighttime expeditions will become nocturnal excursions. Your scary monsters will become chilling fiends. And unknown horror will become indefinite revulsion, unidentifiable dread, mysterious frightfulness, strange trepidation, and anonymous anxieties. To make your audience's skins crawl, creep, edge, wriggle, and slither with fright, fear, foreboding, and panic. Lovecraft's Thesaurus from all good occult bookstores. A Himmler Crippen Hague product. I Hear Voices Theatre Company presents The Call of the Unpronounceable The Misspelled Horror Written by D.G. Loveman The human race believes itself to be the supreme authority in the world but far beneath its surface and submerged beneath gigantic seas more prodigious influences outside our perceived wisdom anticipate their opportunity. Slumbering through epochs of men, my name is Charles Parker Bowles, and I am about to take my own life. Told ya. Humanity believes itself to be the great power upon this earth. But deep underground and below the vast oceans, mightier powers, outside all common knowledge, await their chance, biding their time through long eons of sleep. My name is Dexter Braxton Hicks, and I am about to take a final, irrevocable step in a bit because of the terrible, hideous, nasty, vile, and quite rude horrors that I have seen the horrors that drive me to this terrible act of self-destruction, the horrors and the state of the economy, and the idiots in government and international relations, the environment, religious tensions, global terrorism, men's grooming, celebrity culture, and talking pictures. But for the most part, it's the horrors. The horrors compelling me to end my singular existence in an act of desperation and unbridled fear. But first, I will write down my reasons, not in a hastily scrawled note, but in periodical short story format, taking time to apply the rules of good storytelling and give an exhaustive account, complete with detailed narrative and particularised descriptions, to establish character and mise-en-scene. Such is the disturbed state of my mind in the face of the as yet unspecified horrors. See comments passing. I was first embroiled in the business when engaged upon the disposal of the estate of my recently deceased and estranged half-uncle, Palmer Brannigan, last of the Brannigan line. An elderly scholar, atheist, lifelong solitary bachelor and inveterate sodomite 
Palmer had been found dead in his living room armchair when the local clergyman, the Reverend Horndongle, paid his weekly visit to deprecate the aged Don for his peccadilloes. Arriving at old Palmer's home, I found the door ajar and the jams splintered where the lock had been shut off. But who hasn't forgotten their keys? <laughs> Stepping inside, I edged around the five-pointed star daubed in blood on the floor, squeezed past the improvised sacrificial altar on the dining table, careful to avoid disturbing the goat entrails thereon arranged, and found the antiquated researcher slumped in genteel repose, his eyes wide and staring, his mouth twisted into a soundless scream. When I nudged him to awaken by gently twisting the knife in his chest, <laughs> he did not respond. Pressing at the bullet hole in his forehead gathered no conscious reaction either. Loosening the garage around his throat, his head idly rolled away down his lap and across the floor. All the signs were there. A clear case of a sudden aneurysm. <laughs> As Palmer's closest living relation, I lived upstairs. I was summoned urgently by the coroner. Two weeks later, I arrived. Are you the coroner? Yes, are you Mr. Braxton Hicks? I am, here to claim the body of Palmer Brannigan. You're late. Not as late as he is. I was told you lived upstairs. I do, in an apartment block in Washington. The state or the city? The monument. <laughs> well, Mr. I don't mind telling you this wasn't no natural death like what folks around here would have you believe. Your half-uncle was shot, stabbed, and beheaded. In my book, that spells... You mean... Yep. Suicide. <laughs> A suicide? Then he cannot be buried in consecrated ground. Who are you? This here's the Reverend Horndongle. Ah, yes, from the voiceover on page four. The same. It was I who found your uncle's body. You knew my uncle? Only in the biblical sense. <laughs> I was teaching him the Bible. And yet you would deny him a Christian funeral. We hold to the old ways out here, Mr. Braxton Hicks. Our pace of life is slow. And our broad speed is under one megabyte per second. Then what will happen to his body? In keeping with our ancient local customs for suicides, he will be buried at sea. By boat? By catapult. <laughs> will you be staying at the old Brannigan place tonight? I will. Here are the keys. Thank you. But beware, Mr. Braxton Hicks. For ill fortune comes to those who stay at that house. Oh, yeah, like who? Your great uncle. Oh, yes. A fellow would have to be crazy to stay at that place. So you'll take the place. Of course. Retiring to my uncle's home, I began the laborious task of ordering his papers and hosing off the blood. Amongst his papers, there were many commonplace items, shopping lists, household accounts, and a receipt for a fabled sacrificial dagger of Nilothrotep, official replica with presentation stand and certificate of authenticity. 
But aside from these ordinary objects, I found within my great uncle's writing desk a box of fine yet unidentifiably alien craftsmanship with the words, do not open for fear of your life, written elegantly in crayon upon its surface. <laughs> Opening it, I found inside a weighty and detailed account written in my great uncle's hand of the troubling discoveries which led to his demise and a small carven statuette, fetish, idol, figurine or ornament sculpted from a curious stone of a sort which I could not identify. It seemed to represent a being seated upon a pedestal or throne. To say the thing had simultaneously the aspect of a human form, a dragon, a slug, and a bucket of whelks, will give you some idea of its frightful and hideous detail. Although from some angles it looked more like an ape, a lobster, a budgerigar, and an orange box full of kittens. I wondered upon its age and origin of which its curious form gave no clue. It must have been an ancient thing indeed, for there was no maker's mark upon it, save for the words, made in China, <laughs> misspelled on the back. With it was a note wrapped around half a brick upon which were crudely etched the letters F, U, C, and another character I could not make out, and beneath them the letters O, F, F. Off of. What could it mean? It reads far off. What? Far off. I'm sorry, I have a taxi waiting for me. Such an impatient fellow. Who are you? Miss China. Congratulations. Do you have any photographs from the swimmer around? My name is Maiden China and I am the bohemian dilettante and artist that made the small carven statuette, fetish, idol, figurine, or ornament, sculpted from a curious stone of a sort which you could not identify. What are you doing here? I heard you on the radio, and I thought I'd better move the plot along. Thank God you came. I know. By your hairstyle, I presume you are some sort of female woman. Well, there had to be one. Well, there's a washerwoman on page 28. I meant a speaking role. Madness. So, this uh, statuette, fetish, idol, figurine, or ornament you made, what is it? I do not know. It came to me in a dream, or vision, or nightmare, or trance, or reverie. I wandered alone in a strange, unfamiliar, foreign, unknown, and alien landscape where space and time followed different rules and angles, and shapes were obscure and illusory. It was a desolate hell. It looked a lot like Jaywick. <laughs> and that was where you envisioned this vision? Not straight away, or immediately, or at first. In my dream or vision, I trod across the hell swamps of Mithil Yar and the fabled muck piles of Ungor Thrang, until at last my shoes were ruined, and I stood before the gates of mystical, mighty, seven-towered Sven. Within its nightmare walls, I walked the ancient streets until, standing upon an even more ancient square, I saw this even more, even more ancient statuette, fetish, idol, figurine, or ornament upon a pedestal in a place of reverence. When I awoke, 
I found a strange stone beside me on my pillow, and knew at once that I must carve upon it the image that I had seen in my dream, or vision, or nightmare, or trance, or reverie. <laughs> and what did this have to do with my great-uncle? Being an artist, and were still a female woman, I am, of course, of a sensitive and fragile nature, and prone to fits of distemper and bedwetting, <laughs> and was referred to your uncle as an elderly scholar of note, I showed him the statuette, and he was interested in my work, for he said it reminded him of an encounter with a similar idol he had had in decades past. <coughs> I must go. If you want to know more, it is all within your uncle's weighty and detailed account that you have before you upon the desk. Nah, think I'll leave it. Good night, Miss China. Good night, Mr. Braxton Hicks. Nevertheless... I found myself awake late into the night, reading my uncle's weighty and detailed account. It documented not only the artist maiden's typically feminine temperamental disorder, but also included a wealth of cuttings of similar incidences recorded across the globe on the selfsame date, March 23rd, or if you're British, the 23rd of March. There were voodoo rituals in Haiti, in Texas, a woman wore trousers. In Los Angeles, a psychiatrist married a cutlery set. And in London, England, a man wet himself whilst eating a pie. And so many other strange and coincidental events that it amazed me the authorities had not collated the data. And there was much more to read, but fortunately, part of it was summarized on an old wax cylinder recording. Locating an old wax cylinder player, I listened with avid wax interest. Well, mild wax curiosity, at any rate. Um, is this on? Hello? Hello. Uh, this is a recorded interview by Palmer Brannigan with Detective Bryce Peruse of the New Orleans Police Department. Uh, detective, please tell your story. Into this thing? Very well, but it's not a tale for the faint of heart or a weak of elbow. I'll put some popcorn on. We had recently received reports of several disappearances in a local squatter community of squatters. They lived in squats outside the city, and numerous disappearances had occurred increasing in recent weeks until it became evident that we could ignore it no longer. I took 13 of my men, heavily armed and robustly legged, and went out to the squats, arriving at night time to make it more dramatic. They were crude squat shacks of crude squat people. Even their dogs were squat. They led us out into the dark woods, where they claimed their squat brethren had been carried off into ancient forests that sane men dare not venture far into, even by the light of day. But my men were not sane. And we took out our guns and rubbed oil on our chests and laughed at their squat, primitive superstitions. It was March 23rd, I recall. Oh, just a moment. Frank. Continue. 
We probed far into those dark and evil trees until we heard a far-off cry of such malignant evility that the squatters who had guided us thus far turned and fled in terror on their squat legs. Bravely and armed only with our truncheons, service-issue pistols, submachine guns and hand grenades, we turned our chins toward the source of the evilitude and strode manfully on. We heard the beating of wild banjos and the whoops and hollows of deranged voices. At last, breaking through a dense thicket, we came upon such a scene as I shall never forget as long as I live, even if I live long enough to forget it. Um, what did you see? Dancing around a blasphemous burning cross was a circle of revelers or worshippers, cavorting like drunken monkeys and chanting incons incomprehensibly through their cleft palates and their three teeth each. They did not perceive our approach, and we had time to take in the hideous scene. The figures each wore a white robe, and their faces was hidden by tall, pointed white cones, which sunk down over their stupid pin heads like masks. Underneath the burning cross at the center of the ring was a crude altar, fashioned from an upturned spittoon or a tree stump, upon which was balanced a statuette fetish idol figurine or ornament. Peering at it through my binoculars, I saw it had the head of an octopus, the wings of a bat, the stomach of an elephant, and the legs of a ballet dancer with rickets. At this point, the assembled worshippers ceased their revels and bared their bottoms to the idol with great reverence, knowing that we had them under the laws of indecent exposure. I threw in a grenade and we arrested the survivors. Do you recall what they'd been chanting? Well, I can't claim to be a scholar of linguistics, but it sounded like they were chanting fuck off. They said what now? Fuck off. Mm. The ancient ritual chant of the Fool Quit clan who worshiped the mad god Cattle Moo. Who? A kettle flew or something. And did you bring the statuette, fetish, idol, figurine, or ornament away with you? Certainly, I have it here. Amazing! What a hideous, fiendish, demonic vision. That is a portrait of my wife. <laughs> the statuette is here. Good Lord! Such indescribable alien heritage. Is... Is that a bucket of whelks or a box of kittens? So, my uncle had encountered an identical statuette, fetish, idol, figurine, or ornament, many years previously to that which Maiden China had created, but recently from a vision in her dream. And the policeman had heard the chant that was written on a note wrapped around a brick, delivered through my uncle's window many years later. And it had driven him to suicide, by self-stabbing, shooting, and decapitation. But what could it mean? I skipped ahead a few pages in the script, but it was none the wiser. So I carried on from my previous line. But what could it mean? I tried to sleep, but was troubled by strange dreams of what I'd heard. Fuck off. Oh! 
awoke to find a horse's head in my bed. <laughs> then realized I'd woken up in a stable. As the nearest farm was some miles from my uncle's house, I had a long walk back to town. My sleepwalking was getting worse, I realized, and as I strolled along in the stiff morning breeze, I decided I must no longer sleep naked. Ooh! When I finally returned home, I found the Reverend Hondongle waiting on my late uncle's porch, looking out across the vista of the town down the hill below. Ah, Reverend Hondongle, enjoying the view? Hardly. Taking the air, Mr. Braxton Hicks? I think the air is taking me. Stiff breeze this morning. We are a provincial town, Mr. Braxton Hicks, if you insist on flaunting your big city ways. You will find you do not fit in here. I'm sorry, I didn't sleep well. Sleepwalking, Mr. Braxton Hicks. How did you know? There are many eyes, ears, and noses upon you. Little do you realize the peril you face if you continue your investigations. There are powers, Mr. Braxton Hicks, powerful powers aligned against you and any who would interfere with their dark and sinister purposes. Any who oppose these powers will be powerfully crushed, ripped, torn, eaten, and the very souls devoured by ah, water and forces beyond the understanding of mortal man. Be careful that you do not live to regret your trifling. Are you threatening me? Merely thinking aloud. <laughs> Good day, Mr. Braxton Hicks. My curiosity piqued by the night's events and the inscrutable words of the good clergyman, I decided to pay a visit upon Miss China. Ah, Miss China, I... <gasps> oh, yes, I should have gotten dressed first. <laughs> Returning home, I swiftly dressed and returned to Miss China's apartment. Good morning, Mr. Braxton Hicks. Good morning, Miss China. Sorry to interrupt your saxophone practice. Excuse my answering the door in a revealing negligee. As a decadent artist, I rarely dress before noon. Allow me to slip into something more formal. Thirty minutes later, she returned in a top hat and monocle. <laughs> so, Mr. Braxton Hicks, to what do I owe the pleasure? I woke up naked with a horse and thought I'd pay you a visit. I expect you say that to all the girls. Why don't you come away with me? Mr. Braxton Hicks, this is so sudden. Allow me to slip into something more transportable. One hour later, she returned with shoes. So where are you taking me? A swamp in New Orleans. I need to find a man. I expect you say that to all the girls. Who is this man you want to find? A policeman. Oh, allow me to change into something more investigative. Two hours later, she returned in a deerstalker and tweed cloak, smoking a calabash pipe. So, tell me about this policeman. He appeared on page 11 of the script in a recording with my great-uncle. Some years ago, he found a statuette or idol, just like the one you made from your dream or vision. But, but that's impossible. Bring your version of the idol or fetish, and we'll compare the two. Very well, then. 
Just let me change into something more practical. Very well. I'll, I'll wait in my car. Don't be long. Mr. Braxton Hicks, I am an artist, not some vain, frivolous debutante. Two days later, we were ready to leave. How do I look? By opening your eyes and letting light reflect off objects into your brain. I think you've oversimplified. That's how you look. Why, Mr. Braxton Hicks, you do tease. We drove to the station and caught the train to the port, where we boarded a ship. When the ship ran out of water, we disembarked and got a plane to the airport, and from there we rode alligators to blend in with the locals. Before the journey could take up any more of the narrative, we found ourselves at the police station. I'm looking for Detective Peruse. I'm Peruse, what do you want? I wanted to show you this. The idol or fetish I found in the swamp some years past on March 23rd. How did you get hold of this? I recreated it from a dream or vision. Unbelievable why it's almost identical to this. The idol you showed my great uncle on the wax recording in scene six. We must uncover the sinister mystery behind this. Can you take us to where you found it? The swamp beyond the squatter camps, reference on page 13? Ain't no squatters there no more. They've squatted off. But I can show you the place. This is the place. Who are those mysterious robed and hooded figures over there? They must be the cultists my great uncle knew of. And look, they've got themselves one of them idols. Why, it's just like it was all them years ago. Oh, great Kenhua, as a high priest, I beseech you hear our evil and most naughty prayers. Rise up, O Kalhu, and reclaim the world you once ruled. Ain't nothing happening, High Priest. I gotta give it time, boys. Light the ritual firework. He's saying it all wrong. Hey, Kalhu, it's cattle poo. Don't be a darn fool, it's cuttlefish. Maybe we ought to chant fuck off some more. Still ain't nothing happening. You sure you're saying it right, High Priest? My father and grandfather before him studied and translated the ancient text for decades. The name must be right. It must have been the stars were not aligned on the prescribed date. They must be trying to work out the name of the creature depicted in the idol I made. Hurry up, High Priest. We got to get home to do our lynchings. Boys, boys, spare me but a moment and I shall have it. And allow me to peruse the ancient texts again. Look, he's got a book. That voice is familiar. It's mine, silly. No, not yours. The High Priest. Hmm. Everything seems to be in order according to the rites. That book... It must hold the key to the mystery. We must get it. Well, ain't no one doing nothing illegal here. I, I can't touch him. I better get back to the station. All right, lads. Resume your positions and bear your bottoms. 
Hurry up and high priest, it's some drafty out here. Hold it right there. I arrest you for public indecency. Eat lead, you perverts. Charge! I've got the book. But the cultists have escaped. If only I could recall where I knew that voice from. No matter. Thank you for your help, Inspector. We're nothing at all, son. But you best be careful with that there book. And remember, if you see anyone bearing their derriere, you better run tell a policeman. We shall, Inspector. Farewell. Back at the old Brannigan place, Maiden and I hid the cultist's ancient spellbook in a box marked secret, so no one would look inside and discover it. Our safety thus assured, we had a light supper and relaxed. I was smoking by the fireplace, damn these flammable mohair suits, and Maiden was reading the newspaper when... Dexter, look at this, in the newspaper. The newspaper? What is it? It's a sort of printed record of daily occurrences. Incredible woman! What does it say? There's a report here of a Scandinavian trawler mysteriously found floundering hundreds of miles off course. The captain, Captain Schmorgersbord, says that the trouble began on March 23rd, when a mystifying mist misled them to uncharted isle, which the authorities have been unable to locate. Quite the mystery, my dear. But what has it to do with us? March 23rd was when I had my terrifying dream or vision, during which I carved the idol or fetish. Then perhaps we should interview this salty sea dog. The report states that the captain was heading for Boston Harbor before returning to Scandawegia. He may still be there now. If we hurry, we might catch him. Let me quickly slip into something more nautical. Oh, very well. Four hours later, she returned in a sailor's hat and diving bell. Come on, we've got no time to lose. Soon we arrived at the docks. How will we find Captain Schmorgersbord amongst all these unsavory nautical types? Splice the main brace. Woolly anchor! Cast off the cleats! Shatter in the bowsprit! Knacker the topsail! Poop deck! <laughs> I think some of these sailors may be fake. You mean they're not real seamen? Seamen! <laughs> I see what you mean. Oh, look! A washerwoman! What do you want? Then this must be page 28. Told you so. We must be near the end of the script. He can't be far. Splice the main brace. Harp the mizzen mast. Down the hatch. Walk the plank. Run in the corridor. Poop deck. <laughs> what about that bearded deus ex machina over there? Excuse me, sir. Are you Captain Schmorgersbord? Aye. That I be. Captain of the good ship Doombringer. Permission to come aboard, Captain? Very well, ye land lovers. We're just loading these crates of pianos aboard before we sail home in Scandy Week here. Thank you, Captain. Tell us, have you ever seen anything like this statuette? For a moment, 
The captain stared, transfixed at the little statuette. Fetish, idol, did-a-did-a. Then suddenly his eyes rolled up and his trousers fell down with such violence that I feared it may be fatal. But eventually he spoke. Where did you come by that confounded piece of devilry? So you do recognize it then? Tis the stuff that haunts me nightmares, even whilst awake. You mean you've seen it? And the flash, if flash it were. What happened, Captain? You'll think me mad, but I care not. Well, that's lucky. It was the 23rd of March, and we were sailing in calm seas when a freakish and abnormal storm of devilish ferocity took our ship far off course. Our compass went wild and the storm clouds hid the stars, so we had no way of telling our position. Bucked and tossed by monstrous waves we were until we were beached upon a small, strange island. Going ashore, we found a great cave or fissure in the rocks, And inside that cave, or fissure, a vast door, or portal, of such immense proportions, you could fit a blue whale through it sideways. And on that door, in many hundred ancient scripts of men and strange markings, I can only guess to be a language, there was written a single word. What word? I cannot speak it aloud. I will write it down for ye. Do you have a pen and paper? Darn. No, maiden. As an artist, I always take a hammer and chisel with me everywhere I go, in case I move to do some impromptu sculpting. Well, let me chisel it into the side of this piece of dried herring. C. T. H. U. L. U. The name of the dark god or mysterious entity the cultists are searching for. Cthulhu? Cthulhu? Well, however you say it, it must be misspelled in the book. Then what happened, Captain? Before our eyes, the gargantuan door or portal began to open. And from within it emerged an immense shape of such terrifying strangeness that I did a wee, so I did. You poor man. Rooted to the spot with fear and amazement, and we, so we were. When, with a swipe of its paw, it snatched up my brave crew and tossed them into its gaping moor. My beard turned white with fright in that instant. Then I mad, madly ran out of that cave as fast as me sea legs would carry me, back to me ship, so I did. But even as I hove away from the shore, I saw the dreadful monstrosity coming for me through the surf, right at me amidships. I knew I could not outrun it, so I turned the ship around and drove it straight at the terrible head that was bobbing in the water towards me and I splattered through it like a stone through a wet paper bag and it sank beneath the waves so the monster is dead I think not I fear it has slunk back into its cavern to wait until it is healed and it can be summoned again
Never fear, Captain Schmorgersbord, for we hold the book with the secret summoning ritual here, in our trusty box marked secret. God be praised! Now ye be the only living souls that know the name for sure, or besides me, of course. Not even the new ship's chaplain. What was that snapping sound? It was the sound of snapping rigging. Captain, watch out for that crate! What crate? Captain, are you all right? Is there a doctor in the house? I'm the ship's doctor. Stand back and let me check his vitals. They're over there. Mm, That's not looking hopeful. I'm afraid his heart has stopped. You mean... Yes, a fatal heart attack. So my story ends in tragedy as it began. But the evil cult does not know the true name of its terrible god, and we shall never tell. And so, to safeguard the secret, I have decided to take the final, irrevocable course of action which now seems inevitable. I shall wed Made in China, and, in Captain Smorgasbord's memory, we shall be married by the new chaplain upon the good ship Doombringer. And now pronounce you man and wife. (laughs) The Call of the Unpronounceable, The Misspelled Horror, was written by Damien Bell and featured Damien Bell, Darren Gooding, Dave Hughes and Sarah Ellen Young. Music, sound effects and sound editing by Darren Tansley. This is an I Hear Voices Theatre Company production.